Comic Scene, the podcast. Classic and contemporary review. Hello and welcome to another episode of Comic Scene, the podcast. And in this episode, I'm joined by Hannah Berry. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Um, let's kick off by asking you what comics you read as a kid. Uh, well, um, so I think the first comics I read when I was a kid was uh, was Calvin and Hobbes, right. the the finest of comics. Um, <laughs> they used to be. Uh, I don't think I, my granddad used to send them over from um, Ecuador. I think he used to get an American paper and send over the funny pages wow. uh, for a, for a while. I don't. I don't. Were they available in the UK? I'm, I'm um, not. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it was only later that you could get the collections. I, I mean, I certainly wasn't aware of them in in the UK when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I, hope, I just sort of hope that they weren't available in the UK because that would have undermined his, his really nice efforts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I used to to read these um, these lovely crinkly, and there were there were other things in there as well. Oh, my my aunt sent them over too after after my granddad passed away. She sent them over from uh, Canada, right. um, and they're all kinds of strips like. Uh, Hagar the Horrible, Hagar the Horrible, yeah, Hagar yeah. the Horrible. I used to read that, yeah. I used to read that, that, as well. that one. That was that in, that in Scotland, that was in the Daily Record. So that was in one oh, of the newspapers, yeah. So we got that. That was a good one. I guess there's the, there's the Viking connection. So it's, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, they invaded us. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else is in there? Kathy was in there. I wasn't a big fan of Kathy, I'll be honest. And uh, Doonesbury. I, didn't, I don't think I got that, but I think I, I pretended that I did because I knew that it was clever. Yeah, I didn't get that <laughs> so... either, to be honest with you. It was straight over the top of my head. <laughs> But I mean, Calvin Hobbes were the best ones, and then um, uh, he used to get the um, uh, the collected books. I guess as soon as they were available, when they were over here, or maybe he brought them over. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure now. They just appeared. They appeared um, in my life, and I read them, and I loved them. And I was aware that I know I was reading them when I was six because because um, Calvin is six in the in the comic strips, and he had a really I was really jealous of his vocabulary. I remember thinking, he's, he's so much better. I mean, I, 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 there's a part of me that knew that it was not a real person, but there was a bigger part of me that thought, I should be as clever as this kid. Come on now. And, uh, and was trying to, was trying to, um, well, I was going to say try to mimic him, but I was not, I was a really good girl. So I'm quite boring, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I probably had a lot, had a lot of uh, imaginary friends when I was very young, obviously. Who doesn't? But I, I can't say that I was um, as rambunctious as he was. He was a lot more interesting. Anyway, I'm going to stop comparing myself to Calvin. I'm not Calvin, and I, and I never will be. That's fine. But that was my—that was the first comics that I—that um, was the first comic I really read. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting because it's it's quite you know unusual uh, compared to some of the other people's answers where they might have got an actual publication, but you are getting sent you know uh, uh, newspaper strips essentially, which mm. again. I loved that format, you know, when when I was a kid. But um, but again, it was they were they were hard to follow, and you had to wait in collections if there was a collection at all. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, the, the, some some of those um, newspapers are, are quite rare now, you know, in original form. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder where they are. They must all be. Um, I think I've I must have still got them in my mum's loft somewhere. <laughs> if, if any collectors want to get in touch and offer me. The big bucks. I'd uh, be happy to, to part with some of this collection. <laughs> and was, did you actually follow any anthology sort of comics or UK comics or any any other um, um, comics from that that time? No. Do you know what? Because I, I thought I think um, 
I just didn't think they existed. And I, I'm guessing that our local, in our village, our local news agent had them, but I don't remember seeing them there. I don't remember seeing any comics. Wow. And I don't, they, I mean, they must have been there, right? They, they must have had 2000 AD. This was like in the early 80s I'm talking about. Yeah. But um, I don't. I just don't remember seeing them. So I, did, I wasn't really aware of, of um, British comics until, I guess, until a little bit later. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So yeah. yeah. So so then so then how did you then kind of get into comics? What's your kind of route into the the industry? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, oh wait. No, hang on. So I tell a lie. I, I, I was telling a massive lie there. I did also obviously when I was a kid. I read uh, Asterix and Tintin and Raymond Briggs. I always forget them because it starts off with Calvin and Hobbes, and then that just blows out everything else. Um. But I was really into those, and then uh, grew, grew a little bit older and was in my sort of early teens, I wanted to be something, you know, darker and heavier and more more in-depth, more involved. And um, there was, I was aware of Spawn. I read some Spawn. I thought, you know, this is, I guess this is what older people read when they want to read comics, I suppose. Um, not, not a huge fan, I'll be honest. Uh, and uh, I kind of drifted away from, I mean, I loved the idea of comics, but I, I sort of, didn't really read them as much because I didn't know there was nothing that, that really appealed to me. Um, and then um, my mum went to Brussels, you know, like mums do. She went to Brussels and she she um, came back with some uh, some bon dessinée and said, "Oh, look at these!" And they were they, they were they were amazing. These these like really um, I couldn't understand them. Obviously, didn't speak any French, but uh, they were these amazing like fully painted like lovingly created. Um, graphic novels that I, I just hadn't hadn't seen in the UK um, that were obviously aimed at adults and that that sort of reignited my my interest my passion in creating comics and so whereas before I was doing some sort of you know like a childish version of, of a cartoon strip I started to do more uh, more in depth more involved like painterly things in my own free time right. and um, I went to uh, went to art college Basingstoke Technical College for uh, anyone who's interested. Um, I think that's where Rodney Trotter went, famously. Okay. He's a famous alumni of okay. <laughs> Technical College. <laughs> <Sorry>. Peacock, woo! <laughs> um, and uh, I did art there. There was nothing really... I, I tried to do comics and it didn't really, um, didn't really go down very well. And then study illustration at, at Brighton Uni. And again, tried to do comics. It didn't didn't go down especially well. Yeah. And then uh, the very last project of um, at, at uni was uh, was basically just just do any one thing to any one project to fill up your your portfolio, whatever you think is missing. Do that. And um, the thing that I felt was missing was was uh, was like a was a comic. So I tried to sneak in some sort of sequential narrative bits of illustration work into my portfolio beforehand. But this is the first time I'd done something you know involved. And um, and so that's that's what I did, and that was the start of um, Britain and Brew Lightly, which which became my first book. Yeah. Um, I carried on working on on it after uh, after graduation, and then uh, just I think that was my that was like my New Year's resolution to myself, uh, like a few months after leaving, was to to send it to a publisher and just you know see if anyone's interested. I might as well. Um, Cause just you know you do what what. I was doing what all our students do when you finish art school. You um, temp in offices, and uh, I was working in a blockbusters. Very nice. <laughs> um, 
And then, uh, yeah, so then I, I sent it to... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I sent, I sent a letter to Jonathan Cape and a letter to... I think it was Vertigo. Um, what was it? Dark Horse? I think it was Vertigo. Let's say Vertigo. Let's stick with Vertigo. I sent a letter to both of them to say, hey, would you be interested in a, in a new graphic novel? Vertigo said, uh, no! And and Jonathan Cape said, uh, well, send us what you have. And... Um, kind of it went from there really they, they liked it and they published it and then that was my life right, that's that, my life that is, there we go that, that is quite an unusual case journey in a way for, for that time as well I suppose because mm. you know um and and to be honest there's no right or wrong route in but it is it is quite a, an interesting mm. sort of you know timeline <laughs> of coming straight out and then and, and getting it picked up well, relatively quickly yeah you know yeah and I was very I was very very aware of that I was very aware that it was um that I hadn't, uh, that wasn't really part of the comic scene, that I hadn't really done anything. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm quite self-conscious about it, because you don't, yeah. you know, I mean, you, I think whenever whenever you start any job, when you're when you're young, you you feel like you've got massive imposter syndrome. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, that, that, that comes up a lot, doesn't it, in, in this industry? Yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. Wow. When it was, uh, when it was, when it was, published um doing public speaking events and i i didn't i don't do public speaking I'm, i was i was always really shy and really quiet and suddenly having to now go on a stage and talk about this this um silly little book that i'd done it's it was it was so weird i think i i went to um one of the first things i did was was going to edinburgh festival and i'm talking on stage with uh, alan grant and brian talbot <laughs> i don't belong here <laughs> Here. I remember coming out and sitting down on the stage, and uh, I was so scared that I couldn't feel my feet. Wow. I didn't. I mean, that's that's not any kind of flight or fight response that I was aware of. Um, sit, but that's what happened. It's terrifying. Yeah, God. Yeah, good God. Um, so I suppose then you had to follow that up, and there's your sort of <laughs> yeah. second album. You know, the, the problematic second album, as, as they say in the music business. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you go about tackling that? Um, oh God. Well, I think. I mean, I, I had a bit of um, a bit of a bee in my bonnet about uh, about horror because I'm a big horror fan. I love horror. I really love horror. I just didn't feel like I'd seen any any of the kind of horror that I like, which is like this kind of um, the, the suggested, the subtle, the suggested. I, I just hadn't really seen much of that uh, around in in comics or a film or. Um, well, not so, not seen not not seen much, but I've just not seen enough of it. There can never be enough of it, and um, it was a bit of a. I know it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but to, I, I wanted to try and write a, a graphic novel, a comic, which was um, the kind of horror that I liked. Well, you know, even though it's a purely visual medium, to have something which is all you know spooky and suggested. And um, I think I was at the time I was really pissed off by that film Creep. Do you remember Creep? Oh yeah, Have you seen this one? yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of horror films, if I'm being honest. I mean, I like horror comics. This is a weird thing. I really like horror yeah. comics, but I'm not a massive fan of horror films. Never really have been. I think, I think in the seventies, Carrie put me off. If you oh know. really? Yeah, yeah. The, you're, you're talking about like not the film, not not a friend called Carrie. No. <laughs> no, no, there was, uh, there was a Carrie in my class, but she didn't pay me off horror. Um, yeah. Phil, don't watch horror. You won't like it. I just watched it too young, I think, and you know, and there was just something really unsettling about the way it was filmed, you know. And actually, 
if I'm being honest with you, I've still not watched it uh, back since since the 1970s. You know, still yeah. deep rooted sort of uh, fear <laughs> of that movie. And I it's... think it, it, won't, it wouldn't be the same if you saw it back again now. Like when you first see these things, they are they are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember being really frightened of um, of Jaws, and now it's one of my favourite films. But watching it that first time, when the 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 spoilers, when the head rolls out of the boat, oh, that was uh, that was a proper shock. Yeah, that was that was a key moment. And that, the other, you're right about that though, because when I was a kid, I was scared of Doctor Who. Uh, mm-hmm. It uh, wasn't. And uh, but also the Incredible Hulk when he changed and his eyes changed uh, before, when he was David Banner in the TV show. Uh, his eyes changed, and just the way his eyes looked before he turned into the Hulk was enough yeah. to send me out of the room, basically. <laughs> you know? um, but it's funny. Yeah, he's, he's becoming other. You know, if you yeah. want to get all. Uh... All uh, Freudian about it. Well, let's not get too deep too soon. <laughs> um, so tell me about your upbringing, Phil. <laughs> but, but weirdly, like, you know, like you're saying, it ends up being an influence without you realising it. You know, so again, I'm now a massive Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Obviously, like you know, obviously, like Marvel superheroes, I did when I was when I was growing up in in the eighties. So you know, there's definitely something in that that, that kind of you know slightly dangerous aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the things that that sort of uh, float your horror boat early on are things that stick with you. Yeah. So yeah, so that so you went down that kind of route, and and you know a, a sort of darker sensibility, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I was uh, sorry. Um, saying about creep, I just saw this, this film Creep, which is about a, a, a goblin on the underground, basically, mm. and it really pissed me off. I it felt like a waste of a premise. Sorry, anybody who's listening who made Creep, but. Um, you, you did bad. You did bad. You should feel sad. You should feel sorry for yourself. Um, but I, I felt like it should have been. Uh, it should have been more about the the the, the um, you know the unexplored darkness out there. There's this whole the, the possibility of what might be out there. Not not goblins. God's sake. Was it, Can was we try on your podcast? I don't really know. Was it was it showing too much of 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 the the horror or showing too much of of the the villain because that's often a you know a problem with something that doesn't you know yeah it, it, it just it was it was a bit spooky at the start and then it was um, just this this guy prancing around in you know goblin costume <laughs> sounds like a comic convention to me but there you go. <laughs> there you go yeah so so that was so that was your next so so yeah so that really annoyed you to the point where you kind of produced this as a sort of you know antidote to that or what? yeah but yeah like i'll show you i'll make a i'll spend three years of my life making a book that'll show you <laughs> that's not the motivation i was expecting but there you go <laughs> it's not is it <laughs> yeah i really got them i got them good <laughs> so well you, you've just touched upon the, the fact there that you know the time it takes you to, to produce the work because it's fairly well very labor intensive you know um, yeah, I'm very, very slow. I, I am. I do make some very. I'm, not, I'm aware that I make a rod on my own back, but I do produce very labour-intensive work, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, it's my own fault. But I quite. I just like it. I just like that's how I like to. That's how I like to work. That's what I like to. I, that's what I want to see in the world. I'm not going to half-ass something. Yeah, no, quite, quite right too. And again, using a lot of traditional, you know, techniques as well, which I suppose mm-hmm. paints. Yes, <laughs> there's no undo there, you know. Uh, well, there is, but you know, it's not quite as uh, quick. Um, I do. I mean, I do use Photoshop as well. Yeah, I've got to say. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask you about that a bit later about about your kind of process and you know, but again, we could we could cover that later on uh, if if, if, yeah, if sure. it comes up. Um, 
So, so, so yeah, then moving on again, uh, your uh, third. Uh, do you like to call them graphic novels? Do you like to call them, what's your what's your terminology? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people are really invested in one way or the other, but I, it doesn't. I, it doesn't bother me. So by the time you get around to to livestock, you know how how is your workflow changed? How do you see yourself positioned in the industry? Uh, you know, what's the differences now compared to when you, you started out? Um, I know a lot more people now than when I started out. I think that was the thing when 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 um, when Britain and Blue Lightly came out. I was uh, sort of in positions where I was able to go to, to festivals and and you know conventions and things and and meet new and exciting people. And, um, and after years of having done that, I just I feel like a like a um, I feel like a properly integrated imposter now. <laughs> <laughs> Professional imposter, it's good. Yeah, like. professional imposter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that, that that is important part of 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 the role of the job, and and we'll talk about the role later as well. But um, yeah. but basically, yeah, is, is putting yourself out there and getting yourself known and participating mm-hmm. in panels and selling your work uh, in the context yeah. of of the industry. So, and some people find that a challenge, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely it was definitely a steep learning curve. Uh, I mean, after um, the thing is, I, I it's so when when uh, when my first book came out, um, Jonathan Cape, the publishers, they were much more invested in promoting graphic novels. And I think between uh, that and Adam Time, my second book, I think they um, the powers that be higher up at Random House had realised that you know times are hard. Maybe they should be focusing on promoting books that sell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when when my second book came out, there was um, there wasn't really nothing really happened because I wasn't doing I wasn't doing anything because I wasn't aware that I should be doing anything because I was a bit of an idiot that way. And then I realised that uh, actually it was Carrie Fransman that took me aside and, and said, you know, you need to. Um, I don't think she used the phrase "buck up your ideas, girl," but that was that was the gist of it. You know, that you need to uh, to get out there and make more of. Uh, make more effort, make more waves, make more contacts, make more sense, yeah. make more, do more. Yeah. Um, and so I really, uh, I really, from that point, became actively involved in trying to promote the my, not my own work, but other people's as well. Because it's, it feels a bit. Um, I haven't really got over the the embarrassment of of walking out saying, "Yes, my work is the finest. Check out my wares." Without, uh, it, it's sort of easier to. I find it easier to, to go out and produce and promote comics as a whole and my work if I can. Right. Just to take that take that embarrassing edge off it. <laughs> well, that's if it's all possible. Well, that's interesting because I mean, again, your first books are kind of you know sole creator pretty much books. You know, they're your voice and they're they're yours. But then, obviously, mm. you've worked on collaborations, um, and sometimes, and yeah. uh, you know, writing something for someone else, and sometimes. You know, illustrating something for someone else. So, yeah. You know, and so, did you? Was that a natural thing for you to progress that way, or was that something you felt you had to do? Um, it wasn't something I felt I had to do. Uh, it, it didn't really feel especially like I was. I don't know. Well, I, every time that it was just, uh, it was nothing that I that I sought out for myself. It was something that um, kind of popped up on my radar. Somebody got in touch and said, "Would you be interested in doing this?" Mm-hmm. And because I don't like to turn things down, because um, I need the cash. <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I like uh, I like your know, fun opportunities. So 
uh, each time I've, I've said, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Well, actually, not each time. There have been a couple of things I've turned down because I didn't have time and I've regretted it ever since. But wherever I can, I'll, um, I'll, I'll uh, take on jobs that way. It's really good advice for any freelancer or that, I think, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, just take whatever comes your way. It's just, I, I like thinking of myself as a, as, a, as a big, juicy spider, just hanging out on a web, and whatever comes my way, I'll get that. If it gets, <laughs> if it gets tangled in the web, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> right, okay. Wrapping it in silk. Again, another horror, another horror aspect. <laughs> and, and you did, and speaking of that, you did actually recently write uh, a story for the... Uh, Screaming Misty special, you know, which I, yeah, which I, which yeah, I, that was fun. Yeah, I found that really interesting because I was, I, you know, I really liked that strip in, in the original. Uh, in, oh, in I'm, I'm sorry, if, I, I hope I didn't let you down. No, no, it was really, really just good. very aware of that. No, no, it was really good. I mean, um, but that that's an interesting kind of thing that that you know, for many years there was talk of Misty and bringing it back, and so how did that come about? How did you get involved in that? That again. That was just a, an email that popped into my um, into my inbox asking if I'd be interested in in writing that because I'd, I'd done a um, a short strip for 2000 AD. Uh, um, remember Fiends of the Eastern Front? Yes. Wait, Fiends of the Western Front. Yeah, Fiends yeah. of the Eastern Front. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'd written a short a short Fiends strip from um, it's like a little one off thing, and so I, I think I was sort of on their radar, on their loose radar. I think like their extended radar of uh, of writers from that and um and they got in touch and said we're, we're bringing back we're bringing back scream and misty for one last job <laughs> and if i would be interested in in taking part uh and writing the sentinel strip and i i hadn't I, this is a stupid thing see I, if i'd been more aware of comics as a kid i would have i would probably have loved i think i might have been aware that, that misty was a thing that it was a girl's comic and i would have probably just poo-pooed it because it was a girl's comic and I was not interested in anything which was specifically gender-oriented one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But I would have loved it because I'm a big horror fan. Yeah, maybe it was just the so, timing thing because I think you might have just been a bit too young for it, potentially. Possibly. You know, possibly. So, it was more 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, 70s and into, just into the 80s. Uh, yeah, before in 82, so it's probably... Um, yeah, before your time. So that, yeah. that's what, but, but that's the thing. I was going to ask you if you were aware influenced, but, you know, because... Because it's interesting that they came to you, and it wasn't like a pitch that you went to them with, and saying, "Oh well, I, you know, I read this one. I'm a huge fan of the story, you know." And and how much, you know, how much you maybe thought, well, even that choice in itself, or even their choice uh, of choosing you, is, is quite unusual. Because the obvious choice would have maybe been able to, to get you to pitch something up that's, that was new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm quite lucky that um, to have been involved in that way, in that in the way that I was. I think the. Um, I think I'd read uh, Adam Time and quite liked it and right. knew that I could do a bit of horror. Yeah. Um, and that's how I, that's how it came about. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, yeah. I think um, what we'll do next is we'll jump into our, our <coughs> review section, uh, loosely classes of review. Um, <laughs> yeah, good, because I'm not really – I'm very bad at, at – uh, Thinking critically about other people's work. No, well, you don't um, have to. You, you know, you could. It, it's not a. It's not a kind of scathing review, or it's not a kind of. It could be. Oh, it's not. Oh. You know. Oh, okay. Well, it can be if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, this book is shite. Let's just, <laughs> let's just talk about you know. Let's talk about uh, your your classic comic choice that you've brought along today. Oh well, my classic that I brought along is uh, is Calvin and Hobbes. It's collected Calvin and Hobbes. It's um, a book called Yukon Ho. Yeah. And it was it was literally the first one on my shelf that I that I grabbed from the Calvin and Hobbes section of my shelf. Right. But I picked it out because it was um, 
I mean, it, it, I suppose I'd draw to it because I, when I first read it, I didn't know what Yukon or Ho meant. Uh, and it just it seemed like the weirdest title. Yeah. It's still quite weird, actually, now I think about it. Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so again, so, so this was after you, you know, you, you did a taster of it by getting the, the sort of original sent over, if you want, you know. Um, yeah. And... Uh, so, so what was it that, that drew you? Was it the art? Was it the story? What, what was it? Was it a combination of both? I mean, I think I think it was the art. I yeah. think there was the because um, it, it's very they're very accessible, very, but very um, uh, they're just so expressive in a way that I am not and have never been. But the way that I can appreciate in other people's work, and it's so simple as well, like deceptively simple. When you look at the uh, just the the um, the sorry, I'm flicking through now. I'm flicking them through the book and getting distracted now. Let me put that down. Um, but they they they're so they're very approachable. What's the word that means approachable? approachable. User friendly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Accessible. Maybe yeah. that they're very that. Yes. <laughs> but they are. That's the thing. They've got appeal, and we talk about that a lot in animation. I also run an animation masters, and yeah. we often talk about character. If a character doesn't have appeal then it's, it doesn't matter how well animated it is. If it doesn't have the, the, that kind of face that is appealing and eyes yeah. that, that, that send out that kind of appeal to, to, to the viewer or the reader, then then there's, there's no engagement there. Mm, yeah, it's very it's, um, it's very interesting. I've been watching a lot of uh, CBeebies recently because of the <laughs> aforementioned child. And, um, you know what I'm talking a, about there's... there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about there because they, all those shows are deliberately designed to appeal to that audience. Yeah. And beyond that audience. But there's, there's one or two that where the, the design just leaves me cold and really do not like them. Right. Wow. It's surprising. I'm not gonna I'm oh. not gonna bad mouth them on here. Okay. But I do love Hey Dougie. Just wanna have a quick shout out for Hey Dougie. Right, okay. The best of all of all uh, cartoons. Right. You'd be a more more of an expert on me on, on that at that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're ever, you know, off having a duvet day, highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so back to back to Back Sorry, to Calvin Cameron Hobbs. Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's pretty well regarded. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it yeah. travelled quite well. You know, I think it's one of those ones that exported and people get, which again shows that it has that appeal across you know nations and countries and you know wherever else and cultures. Yeah. Um, and again, this for me, there's something about the fact that that he chose to end it is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a brave person that that is able to step back and say, you know, what, I've I've done, I've done all I can do with this. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, there's a lot of there's any number of of, of um, creative no, not creative of um, titles of, of books and TV series and film franchises that should have really called it quits a long long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and I think exactly. that's a that's a I mean, it's not the easy thing to do, but I think it is the right thing to do to be able to say, "This is I've done what I can do with this. This is anything beyond this is going to be watered down shite." And, and um, really, hasn't really done well. It has done other work, but maybe not had the same kind of you know coverage uh, since since he since he finished. That. No, I think it was, and was perhaps it? he never will. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it still probably would have the. The fans, but I think the I guess the reach you wouldn't have because of the the um, I guess of the way comics are digested now. They wouldn't probably have the same. Um, yeah. There's not there's not 
that big monopoly anymore. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that kind of format is sort of, well, certainly in the UK, it's sort of dying out the newspaper strip because the newspaper mm. is having to change what it is. Yeah, it's it, very hard to get work as a newspaper cartoonist. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they seem I've to tried. them all. I know, <laughs> well, I think I, I'd love to see that come back, but I think the way that we engage with news and newspapers has completely changed. And obviously, there's, an, there's online portals for these newspaper strips, but the yeah. investment that they need to produce them, I think, doesn't actually add up you know financially yeah. so what you'll see a lot of you know originated strips getting canned and they'll bring in a a syndicated strip from somewhere mm. and, and it's quite interesting in, in, in dundee you know so we've got the, the dundee courier where, and mm. that's dc thompson's and they've got a whole bank of their their characters sitting there but when i was a kid the newspaper strip in the courier was garfield you know, and I was really? like, this is weird. You know, it was incredibly yeah. popular, but it was sort of like, well, why is it not Dennis the Menace, you know? And yeah, what they yeah. do now, though, is they do have a page of, um, they do have a page of, out of the archives from, from DC Thompson's in, in the Courier uh, every every day, which is great. And they've still got Garfield. And weirdly, the other most popular thing was uh, a little dingbats sort of puzzle, uh, <laughs> if you remember those. Um, and to be honest with you, I think some people never got beyond that part of the newspaper, you know, including myself. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that you know that, that 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 format is maybe you know of its of its time maybe you know. Yeah, I think so. And I think due to the, the I guess the squeezing of you know trying to wring the most uh, the most content for the for the least amount of money. I think I think I'm right in saying that the people that do do cartoon strips for newspapers are being paid pretty much the same amount they have been for the last thirty years. Uh, you know, accounting for inflation, they've been the so the. Um, uh, the you know the same. What am I trying to say? The the actual amount is the same, yeah. but inflation has got has yeah, yeah, exactly. made it's it not moved with the, worthless. Not, not, not moved almost. with inflation. That's for sure. It's not very well paid. So, I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is about that is that, that what they can make the money on though, if they retain the rights of of it, is the merchandise. So if you look at some of those, I mean Garfield, you know, it was everywhere. A tight, you know, back in back in the eighties, you know, it was like. You know, animation series and live action and you know cgi and you know uh, toys plush toys and you know everything you know and if you can get that to work then then you're laughing but it's incredibly difficult to to get any new ip to kind of fly these days i think yeah in the mainstream anyway yeah true i mean i've, I've got I quite have a, a collection of um adam time dolls but you know it's not not to be <laughs> Okay, great. So let's move on to your contemporary choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a bit embarrassing because it's actually a book by a friend of mine and I should have um, chosen differently. But, you know, I've got so many friends in comics, you know, it's hard to choose. <laughs> but this is um, A Thousand Coloured Castles by Gareth Brooks, which came out last year? year before last? Mm-hmm. I'll say year before last. Yeah, Let's say 2017. Yeah, yeah. I really loved, I loved his first book. I loved um, the Black Project, and uh, I've really enjoyed this one as well. Yeah, I think part of the reason I love it is because he is as much a glutton for punishment as I am, and this entire thing is um, is done with uh, with crayons, and uh, it's got this this. I, I, I don't know if um, if people know it or if you can just have a little look on. I have a little cheeky Google and uh, what, what and I'm, see the artwork from inside. I'll link to the uh, the, the, the the page uh, the book page from the publisher um, Maria has, okay. uh, has, a, has a nice page with some examples on it but you're right it's a very very kind of unusual distinctive 
chalky kind of style, which is which kind of kind of sets it apart uh, visually. That's for sure. It has it has this um this kind of the style of artwork because the the book is about this lady who's she, her eyesight is deteriorating, mm-hmm. but her brain is starting to um, hallucinate things around the the like deteriorated vision, and uh, so she's she's seeing all these crazy things like castle walls and uh, soldiers and um, ladders coming out of people's heads, you know, batshit things like that. Yeah. And she's um, and they're they're all incorporated into the into the panels, just casually thrown in. And it's it's great. It's really really surreal, but also very familiar because it's like this just this this uh, suburban landscape um, that it's set in. Though it's very familiar to anybody who's grown up a bit suburban, I guess. Yeah, and there's there's not a lot of dialogue as well in the examples. I, I I've seen a lot of it. The story uh, is no. visually. Um, yeah, it's very sparse the dialogue, yeah. but it's very. I mean, it's it's really. Um, you could, I mean, you can, you really, it's enough to get a good sense of the characters. There's this, uh, there's this couple, that, so there's the, the lady whose eyesight is going, and then her husband, who's this, I mean, they're, they're an older couple, and the husband is um, somebody who um, likes traditional roles, and uh, is, you know, likes, he likes his, he likes familiar things, like, you know, to have his, his traditional meal to be handed to him by his good lady wife, okay. and, uh, it, you know, but they're only um, they kind of there's not nothing. None of this is is laid on when you think it's all just sort of suggested in a very uh, light and delicious way. Yeah, you really get a good sense of these characters, and they're they're very they're very familiar as well to me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, obviously a very character based piece, you know. Uh, and I, I, I'll admit again, it's not one that I'm very familiar with um i i think the art style looks really really interesting and, and very um very unusual uh in a way it's not um you couldn't exactly class it as a as a specific style you know i think it's setting out some some mm. new ground there which which i really like and I'd, I'd be keen to know exactly how this is produced uh i mean it, it yeah, does look like it is with crayons his, yeah i, I might have made this up i think on his instagram page he might have some videos of him doing yeah, I think it is crayon based because there's a picture here that I've found and it is Crayola crayons and you know um, <laughs> a, a huge amount of them around one of the images so yeah I mean that is in yeah, itself, that, right. <laughs> that, is, that is that is in itself quite an unusual way to work in fact you know I mean it's very rare that I see someone use the Crayolas because they're very waxy yeah. they're very hard to, to work you know they're great when you're yeah. a kid with it either. Yeah, actually, and the thing is, what he's doing, I think, is he working on black paper and then picking that out? I'm not entirely sure how he's doing the line. Yeah, so the style is a little bit like those, um, you know, those firework pictures that you do when you're a kid. I can't, re- I can't remember how you do them, but I think you, you draw the fireworks with your wax crayons and then you paint over the top and oh, then you yeah, scratch it off. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's kind of something like, like that because the waxiness of the. The crayon just it, it reacts against it, sort of thing, and it creates. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. right. I think the wildsters have have used that technique. You know, I've not and I've not tried to replicate that digitally. Funnily enough, on my antique, I don't know if that's possible. But, but, <laughs> I don't know if you can. Do you reckon you can? No, no, I don't. I don't think you can. That's that's what gives it this very distinctive look. And 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 again, if you have a look online, and uh, we'll do we'll put some links out to to the um, to this work uh, on uh, our uh, Facebook page for the podcast 
so you can have a look at this but yeah very distinctive and i i love it when someone takes that technique which actually you know is quite a, a chow like technique and there's another thing about the book is that the, none of the characters have any faces mm. which is um which is kind of, i mean it's not quite as creepy as it sounds it's, it's intentionally that way but they i mean you, you can get the character from from you can infer a character from what they're saying but it adds to that this sort of weird otherworldliness of, yeah. of the whole thing like it's already familiar but the characters by the way are, are just these faceless dolls it is it, it's, it's peculiar but wonderful but weird yeah i mean the thing i imagine it'd be quite hard to put in a lot of definition with crayons you know into the faces you know yeah, when, yeah. When, when, when i used them as a kid they weren't the most you know refined tool <laughs> drawing tool in the world no. but, but that's what makes I mean, it interesting you know i think the, yeah the, the way that the, the, the pages are constructed and and the faces they're sort of the faces are sort of scribbled in, you know, flesh tone. Um, mm. So there's sort of shapes within the face, but no defined yeah. features. So, yeah, he's using it to his advantage here, I think. Those kind of, that te those textures that are getting created and those kind of yeah. um, happy accidents within the rendering of the crayon is giving yeah. the faces actually some expression that isn't actually there. Yeah. I mean, it's proper dedication, though, isn't it? Even though it's a, it must have been a, really difficult thing to do really difficult book to do yeah it is that's, I mean, that's commitment that is and uh, yeah how many pages is it it's, it's quite, yeah it's, it's 208 pages it says here so that's quite that's quite it's a enough. challenge you know um it's a you know obviously again quite labor intensive a, a, you know a bit like when you're working with watercolors or whatever you know that kind of that kind yeah. of you know it's what's on the paper is on the paper or you know uh, on that surface it's yeah. quite there's a bit of pressure there that I think a lot of digital artists don't don't have. And yeah, it, you know, I mean, it's, al <laughs> it's almost it's almost too easy to undo, and, and it's almost like and the, but there's a, there's another downside to that, which means that you can create create keep trying to create the perfect line or you know the perfect texture. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, when I when I finish off pages, I'll um I'll run through Photoshop just to tidy up bits and pieces here and there, especially with uh, with text because I write it all on the page and then and then shop it out afterwards yeah. but it's it's so easy to just to just keep going down that um that photoshop hole that spiral to try and get things you know as perfect as they can be and it's never going to be as perfect as he wanted to be yeah no exactly. but it, it, it just it just gets as long as it's oh well this this line will make it better and this bit will make it better if i do this this will be better and it's all better than before but now it looks somehow looks worse than when you started <laughs> that's very <laughs> true well that's quite interesting about your the lettering uh, that you that you do your your lettering and you know in a traditional sense, because again, if you were to digitally uh, letter, um, you know, more organic work, it tends to yeah. really jump out at you and doesn't quite fit with the art. Now I'm looking at a page um, um, from your your choice here, uh, and uh, Gareth Brooks does his own sort of hand like with very odd shaped balloons that, that that really fit into the artwork. And again, I think it's the limitation of using the crayon on the page. Yeah. Uh, is they're quite kind of um, what I would say they're almost like kind of like um, the way that I would I would do uh, word uh, word balloons when I was a when I was a kid. Yeah, 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 true. You know, and but then this, the, but then there is clear handwriting in there, um, so it, it, it isn't. It, it's making sure it's legible as well as what I'm trying to. Say. Yeah, which is uh, that was a mistake that I made with um, with Britain and Blue Lightning because I was really. I was—I didn't know what I was doing exactly, um, 
and I, I wrote it. I, I did all the writing straight on the page. Not actually, that's not that's not strictly true. All of the writing in in uh, speech bubbles, I, I wrote straight on the page, and all the narration I, I dropped in afterwards on Photoshop. But all of it was my own handwriting. Yeah. And it's it's not it's not as legible as it should be. I really regret that now. Um, and since then, I've had a I've got a font. I've got a font of my own handwriting, which is a lot neater. Obviously, a lot more legible. But I still. I still, when I do the original artwork, I'll, I'll write on it and then, so I know how much space it takes up. So yeah. it's, it's already on the page there. Yeah, I think that's a good technique. And some of our, our students who are more traditional-based uh, artists really mm. struggle with the tension between the digital lettering and, you know, their artwork. And I do yeah, encourage them. Yeah, because it can look awful, can't it? Yeah, and it just really jumps out at you and it's not integrated yeah. into the art or the, or the storytelling or the page at all. And I do encourage my students who, who are going down that route to, to create their own font based on their own. So always habit. use Comic Sans, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> the, the definitive comics lettering <laughs> font. <laughs> Thank you, um, No, but I think that's important though. I think, you know, and again, probably about uh, on the project at the moment that we're working with the students is there's maybe a 50-50 split in you know, traditional art versus digital. And, That's interesting. You know, and I think that the, um, the, 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 the traditional artists always have that you know, fear in a way of, of putting the lettering in. You know, mm. where, you know, where does, where, well, it's not so much where it goes, it's just that integration of it and, and leaving it yeah. to the last step. Is, is Make it look natural. Like, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I'm not a mass, I mean, I mean, I, I, I've done professional lettering jobs and I, I do, I, I, you know, I have a workflow through Illustrator, but I do say to to some of my students that, you know, that I, I, I sort of a slick lettering job and that is not going to work. You know, yeah. it's just going to be too sharp. It's going to be too, it takes you out of the story, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I think that's the thing with comics. I don't, I don't like them when, they're, when they are too slick. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I think that can be, I think because it's, because of the way they, can be put together digitally or the way that um i guess that, like this the sort of lean towards that slightly commercial commercialized aspect of it i think sometimes there can be too much i, th I think people can, i feel like some creators can can head towards making things slicker um they're a bit too bit too hasty on the slickness yeah you think they're maybe uh, covering up for other inadequacies here <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to say oh, that. No, no, no. In, in an artistic <laughs> sense, is what I mean. Is that sometimes, sometimes if you have really, really slick coloring or you know filters and you know effects, uh, it's yeah. covering up you know a lack of maybe you know anatomy or you know good anatomy yeah. or, or bad perspective yeah. or things like that. You know, and I tend to find that some sometimes, and again, I'm not going to name names uh, or, or or even publishers, but sometimes. They over render the, the coloring, and mm. sometimes I, I I long for the days of just you know flat colors that you would get back in the in in the seventies yeah. and eighties, you know, uh, um, and I just like the art, you know, talk for itself. Yeah, sort of quite quite raw. Yeah, and and maybe again it's because of that production line methodology that they have in mostly American yeah. comics, where everyone has to do the best that they can do, and sometimes you need to. It needs to be less polished. It needs to be um, just that little bit sort of rough around the edges to, to give it a little bit more character, a little bit of personality. Yeah, no, I, I, that's I, what's missing quite a lot. I totally agree. And then some people do try and replicate that, you know, maybe a, a watercolor effect or a more painterly effect. And some people can do that really well, but often 
it, it's never the same as the, the happy accidents you, you'll get, you know, when you're actually yeah. on a piece of watercolour paper, for example, and you know, something bleeds away you didn't expect it to, and you know, yeah, things, yeah. things like that, and, and you know, uh, those those sort of you know uh, unaccountable errors uh, are, are 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 sometimes what can make a page. I think, and also the other side of of this, and it's been coming up quite a lot recently, is that. Is that there's a secondary income from original comic art that a digital artist doesn't have. Yeah, I think I, I guess you're right there. Do you ever sell your original pages? I sold one once, and I've regretted it ever since. Really? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm quite, I'm, I'm really precious about it, about the the page. I'm not that's surprising. No one who's ever seen my work, I'm really precious about it. But I just like to. I like to have them. I'll sell any other bits of work that I've that I've done, but I like to have the you know the whole um, my complete set of pages. Right. It's just nice to they're just nice to look at and then put them in a box on a shelf and then forget that I have them for years and years. That's that's what I want to do. Do you think you'll ever sell them? Is that as a whole? As a as a. As oh, a I might. Do, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not ruling it out. I need the cash. <laughs> <laughs> But a lot of artists I know who do, do physical pages, they'll sell them as they go, you know, they'll, so they'll get their page rate. Yeah, and sometimes that's a good source of income. Well, that's the thing, they'll get more money for the original art than they'll get for the page rate, you know, in, mm. in a lot of cases, and you know, uh, depending on the artists, you know. So there's a secondary income that I do feel quite sorry for digital artists who kind of have that one stream of income and then that's it, yeah. you know. Um, but anyway... Veered off uh, uh, slightly uh, again, but yeah, but but well, well, anything else you'd like to say about uh, a, th- a thousand coloured castles? Um, everybody should buy it. Everyone should own a copy. That's what I should say. <laughs> <laughs> two, why not two? Own two. Yeah, Treat yourself. Why not? Why not? One and, for each hand. And why not buy some crayons as well while, while you're at it and try yeah. and create Go your back own to old school. Maybe do some brass rubbings. <laughs> Maybe do some. What else do we do to do in school? Felt oh. it pens. There was also the the scraper board, which is uh, you know the scrape. Oh yeah, was that the brass one? Yeah, the, well yeah, or, or or silver sometimes, but yeah, you know you'd, you'd scrape away and and reveal your image in the reverse. Yeah, sort of but now again, labour intensive, so you don't see a lot of that <laughs> these days. Comics. I'd like to That's see true. more of it. Um, and occasionally we get all those uh, the fuzzy felt things where you oh, um yeah. there was like a you, you, there was colouring in except the the black lines were raised felt. Do you have those? Yeah, I do. I do remember the fuzzy felt. Yeah, definitely. There was al- there was also another thing that I remember, and this is going quite far back into the seventies, which was called uh, colour forms, and it was kind of a, it was kind of an American thing where it would be based on a franchise, like say for example Scooby Doo. I'm saying that because that's the one I had, um, and it had a background. And you were able to sort of stick down these sort of plastic uh, characters into the environment and sort of make your own stories, you know. Ooh. And they did quite a lot. That, that's ringing a bell. I, I think I might have had one of those. Yeah, that it, sounds very familiar. It cuts across all different franchises. So you'd have the characters in different poses and then you would kind of stick them into these environments. But they, they'd peel off again because it was just plastic that... that uh, <laughs> Adhered itself to the background, you know, quite nicely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you can pick them up on on eBay, uh, and there's a, a lots of different, you know, different franchises at TV shows, cartoons, you know, uh, <laughs> and other things. So yeah, I'm making a note of that. Color form. Color form. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a. <laughs> well, no, I'm doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> Hours of fun. I think you'll find. Well, minutes of fun. Um, uh, and there was also the transfers. Remember the rub down transfers as well. They were they were a yes. big thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then my dad had a load of um, letter set. Oh, he's a graphic yeah. designer, right. and I have—I've still got them actually because I don't want to get rid of them. Wow, yeah, um, there's a market for But those. I've got loads and loads of weirdly loads of Korean ones. Right, okay. Uh, 
Never use them. Yeah. But it's still fun. Well, actually, the Electra set made those uh, action transfer sets, so they, they did diversify uh, out of forms yeah. into that, you know. So, I mean, I used to use Electra set when I was starting out in graphic design, and you know, and, and actually, they're quite they're quite sought after as uh, you know collector species okay. themselves. You know, there's a whole black market in in Electra set because again, it's it's almost fighting against that kind of super slick, you know, finish. Mm, yeah, yeah, because you get all the nice broken letters and sort yeah. of bits where it didn't quite come through yeah exactly or you know you'd have you know a slightly wonky text line or something like that you know just because you're lining it up by eye but there's there's yeah. something something quite nice about that you know and trying to replicate that digitally and i've tried yeah. you know it, it, it's it's very difficult to break the sort of you know rules if you want um so yeah i'm a big fan of lecture set as well in fact mm. like when i was a student you know, we would uh, it, it would be people like stealing lecture set off of each other and you know there's a huge sort of uh, there was there was a huge market for that in art college when I was there. I don't think it's quite so much a thing these days, unfortunately. Okay, so let's talk about your uh, new role as comics laureate. So how did that yes. come about? Um, well, that was uh, there was a, a, a committee that met um, that are I believe drawn up from the Lakes Festival and the University of Lancaster and. Um, they were they 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 decided that I think I, I don't know how they I don't know how they made their choice, um, but I was somehow it. And they got in touch at the start of last year and said, "Hey, would you be interested in being the comics laureate?" And uh, and I applied, and said, "I definitely would be interested in being the comics laureate." I'm about to have a baby. Does that change things? And they said, "No, that's fine. We'll work around that." And so they've been very good at working around that so far. So that's very nice. Um, um, and then it was uh, it was officially announced at the Lakes Festival last year, and um, and I, I was genuinely I was really nervous about the response to it. I wasn't sure if if, if people were going to um, be furious because I, I you know as I'd say I'm a I'm an imposter, um, but people seem to have not minded that, and it's it seems to have gone down okay. And I've, I've been met with um, actually some enthusiasm, which is which is lovely. And I had a lot of uh, really nice emails from from. Various, actually, a lot of teachers around the country asking for for um, for visits or for, for for comics connections, which is which is lovely. Like, but that's you know that's what the role that's what the role is all about. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not really I don't think I've got the resources to go to individual schools, but you know around the country. But I I definitely I've been trying where I can to put people in touch with um, with local with comics people in their area that can come and do workshops or or you know deliver some lessons or whatever you know they're comics based well you know where, where i can it's it's a service it's a thing it's not strictly part of the role but it's something that i like to do i don't like people's enthusiasm to be met with just silence yeah obviously logistically quite difficult when it's just you you know and <laughs> yeah. you know, um so yeah <laughs> but, but uh, again if you if you do go on tour at any point you know we'd, we'd happily welcome you uh, to oh, Dundee, because uh, we did have Charlie up, uh, Charlie Adlard up uh, a couple of years ago when he was comics laureate, and obviously the first oh. comics laureate was Dave Gibbons, and he's done quite a lot of stuff uh, yeah. with us in Dundee. So yeah, um, hopefully within your two-year tenure, is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, I may, uh, I may swing up to Dundee. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Yeah, well, you yeah, have, I'd love to come back there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have been up before, um, part of the Literary Festival, but and um, there's a few 
other things that, that, that might be coming up soon that um, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know about. And uh, obviously, we need to tie that into our, uh, our comic space here in, in Dundee, which, uh, again, we're just uh, in the second phase of at the moment. We've just moved units uh, for that, and, uh, and uh, we're um, expanding that. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to, to get you back up to Dundee, and especially in, yeah. your, in your current role, because it, it really resonates with, with what we're trying to do up here. Um, in Dundee, so great! So, so congratulations on that. Um, and finally, uh, is there any new projects you can talk about, or anything you're working on, you know, imminently? Um, no, well, no. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm basically just coming off maternity leave, so I've got nothing. I'm, I'm working on a. I'm doing a monthly cartoon strip for Prospect Magazine, and that's that's basically it for stuff that is visible to people. But there's there's, some, there's a, a project that I want to set up with the with the laureate thing, which is um, to have a like a, a website, it's like an online uh, resource for for teachers who want to incorporate comics into their lesson plans or into schools generally. Yeah. Um, and to, part of that would be uh, like a like a database of people around the country who uh, teach comics, who run comics workshops, who who uh, who who teach kids generally. Um, but with with who could come and visit schools if if um, to have all their details online as this uh, uh, in this database and then teachers time poor teachers can can just look on and say oh this person is is near us and uh, and get in touch with them and, and get them to come visit so if, if there's any um, the, the thing is that this needs funding to be able to to set up and before that I need to be able to show there's an interest in such a thing so if anybody would like if anybody teaches comics around the country anybody runs workshops for kids um just drop me a, an email and register your interest um uh, contact at hannaberry.co.uk and if anybody is a teacher who would be interested in having people coming into their schools and teaching teaching workshops to kids you know to, things to to promote literacy especially um drop me an email as well uh, just, just everyone get in touch. Everybody get in touch. Drop me an email. It's nice to hear from people. I, it, it'll take me a while to reply because of the baby, but I'm, I'll, I'll reply when I can. Yeah, well, we'll definitely push that message out there, and we'll have further discussions about that uh, cool. as well uh, to see how we can get involved here because I think it's something that yeah, like taps into our our kind of philosophy behind you know teaching and and, and starting at an early age and and, and developing those uh, those skills. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great. That sounds like a fantastic opportunity. And I'll put your uh, email address out on the, the notes for the show uh, as well, if anyone wants. Oh, to brilliant! Thank you. So, so great. Thanks much very much. Well, thanks very much for for joining us today. We've had a few technical issues on the way, but hopefully <laughs> we got there in the end, though, it, didn't we? Yeah. Hopefully it'll be completely seamless uh, by the time <laughs> it goes out. I'm sure it will be. So yeah. So I'd just like to say thanks, Hannah, for for joining joining us uh, today, and uh, thanks, hopefully we speak to you soon. Hopefully we'll get up to Dundee soon. Yeah, I look forward to that. Great, thanks very much. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Join us next time on Comic Scene, the podcast.